This is the Dancepreneuring Studio Podcast, session number 212, Silver Linings in a Pandemic. Hello there and welcome to session number 212 of the Dancepreneuring Studio Podcast. I'm Annette Bone and the Dancepreneuring Studio is the place where dance inspires life and business. I get the joy and the privilege of sharing my journey back into the dance world after a 20 plus year hiatus, the lessons I've learned, the transformation I've experienced, and the wonderful creatives I've met along the way who also share their stories, their ideas, strategies, and tactics to help move your life and your business forward. I'm thrilled to share this wonderful, delightful conversation I had with artist Melissa Greenspan, who was one of the actors in this amazing play online via Zoom, the things they did with Zoom. Oh my goodness, you have to see this. It's called Unraveled. And it's by Jake Broder. I'll link all of the information in the show notes at AnnetteBone.com forward slash 212, where you can also find out more about Melissa and all the wonderful things that she's done throughout this pandemic. And this episode, Silver Linings in a Pandemic, so many of them Personally, for me, for Melissa, we talk about that in this episode. We talk about her dance experience and her daughter, who is also a dancer and gymnast. And then also the process of what happened with Unraveled, as well as an amazing project that she produced with other dancers, Broadway stars for the Biden-Harris campaign. Very exciting. So without further ado, let's get to this fantastic conversation with the awesome Melissa Greenspan. Thank you so much for joining me. Hey, this is Melissa Greenspan, and I'm playing dancer Ida Rubinstein in Jake Broder's beautiful new play, Unraveled, directed by Nikki Dukas. You're listening to another session of the Dancepreneuring Studio with Annette Bone. Now that you're warmed up, get ready to go full out with our feature presentation. All of us are part of a beautiful pageantry of human experience. Let us make the most of this life in all we do. This lovely quote I found by Lawrence Overmeyer. And my lovely guest today has colorfully and beautifully amplified the human experience through her extensive work in film, television, animation, and theater. Melissa Greenspan has been on notable shows such as Desperate Housewives, NCIS, Modern Family, just to name a few, and over 300 appearances for companies including Fox, NBC, TD Ameritrade, Discover Card, Capital One, Gerber, Dairy Queen, Hallmark, Chevron, Marshalls, Diet Pepsi, and many more. According to the Talukan Times, and this is just one of many outlets that have given praise for Melissa and her work, they said, quote, the diminutive Melissa Greenspan is infectiously lovable. What I didn't know is that Melissa danced in a company when she was younger. She has a teenage daughter that is a dancer and a gymnast. She's worked on Dancing for Democracy with some Broadway stars and dancers for the Biden-Harris campaign and is now playing the role of Ida Rubinstein, a Russian dancer with Ballet Russe in the online work called Unraveled, where art, music, and science intersect. I'm so thrilled and honored to welcome the amazing Melissa Greenspan. How are you today? Hi, Annette. I'm great. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to have a conversation with you. I'm, again, we talked a little bit before we started recording how impressed I am with your background and just how vast your work is. I mean, you're all over the place and you've done different characters, yet at the same time, it's like when I was watching your clips, I thought, 
oh my gosh, she's so likable. <laughs> like, I love how she shows up. You know, I know she's also playing a character, but like, it's, she just has this energy that's so likable and that makes me want to watch all your stuff. So with, you know, all the things that you've done, do you feel like, well, I know with acting and anything you do when you're perfecting your craft, it takes time. You, you find your groove, you train, you learn, you get different perspectives. Did you always want to be in the arts? I know you went to Tisch School of the Arts. I saw that, that I didn't know that. Did. did, was that always, was that a childhood dream to, from the beginning that you were going to be an entertainer, an artist? What, how did that all come about? You know, it's funny. It, I wouldn't even say, I get, I mean, I guess you could call it a dream. It was sort of matter of fact in my life. Um, from uh, when I was, I don't know, two, three, four years old in, um, these little day camps, I, you know, the plays were the main thing that I wanted to be a part of. And it was, it was just sort of a given, um, that that's what I was going to do. Um, I didn't really search out a lot of other opportunities because I was pretty clear about the path I wanted to take. Um, and I was fortunate that I, who I, I had parents who were incredibly supportive of that, um, that goal. I think that's awesome with having the support system. And I know that um, your daughter dances and she's a gymnast. And so did she get into that because of your encouragement or did you, you know, she had the interest in you, uh, you fostered that because that's what you experienced yourself with your family. Uh, you know what? I think it just runs in the blood, <laughs> actually. Uh, <laughs> seriously, I my twin sister was a ballet dancer all growing up and majored in it um, in uh, at Indiana University with Jean Pierre Bonfou. Um, so that was she was ballet all the way. I was more jazz and, and contemporary movement. Um, but both of her dan- uh, both of her um, daughters, my nieces, are dancers, and then my daughter. Um, she actually started out, she was always moving as a child. Um, her body just never stopped moving. Uh, but she really focused that movement with gymnastics for many, many years. And she was a competitive gymnast. And just this past year, she decided to transition over to dance, um, fully. She, we, she really had to make a decision between one or the other just because of time. Um, and she was loving all of her dance classes and really felt, that um, that's how she could express herself uh, the best. And so, and we found this amazing dance studio here in Los Angeles, the Floor Dance Academy with uh, Jennifer Hamilton runs it. And we just found a home there and she decided this is where I want to be. So, um, but in terms of physicality, I mean, she's just a physical human and <laughs> that's how it came out. <laughs> As she was, um, doing gymnastics, transitioning to dance. Did she go to you for advice in terms of how, you know, how do I do this? What do you think about this? Or she's just, she just made the decision kind of thing. Like how, how did you guide that? And like, what kind of encouragement you even, and the reason I asked this is because I feel like just the people that I've run into in the last couple of years, like having that support system has been the critical factor in them developing and succeeding. And, you know, and we all don't have that. I mean, there, there have, there's many stories where people don't have that, they don't have that support yet, they still do it. But I think having that support network and having the mentorship and the, the positive input, it's, it's a, a benefit and it's a serendipity and it only helps to further that growth process. So what would you say about that, you know, in terms of your relationship, how you guided her? Did she need a lot of guidance? I mean, she sounds like a pretty independent person, but you know, how, how is, how did that all work out? 
Well, I would like to say that, <laughs> that I guided her, but really this, um, this is her. This is not something that I pushed her towards at all. Um, she, in fact, she comes to dance not only through, um, the performance aspect of it and the movement aspect of it. For a moment, she was actually competing in dance as well. And I, she really loves the competitive atmosphere of it, but, um, through choreography. So she's just constantly creating movement. And so, it really, in terms of support, that's how myself and my husband um, so give her support. <laughs> he's actually <laughs> he's much better at it than I am um, because I because I come from a dance background and he doesn't. Um, he's a lot freer, whereas I'm all about technique and do, you know placement and doing things correctly. Um, so she would put choreography on us um, from when she was very very little and. Um, quickly get frustrated with me because I would be correcting her or giving her suggestions because she would inspire some wonderful creative ideas. Um, but she didn't want to hear it. She wanted to go her own way. And so she ended up now at this point, she only partners with my, my husband and she literally, they have this whole thing about he's on dance team B and, um, <laughs> every, <laughs> and every once in a while, I mean, just, it happened the other night. She came home from, um, uh, she was at her studio is doing some very, um, very safe, you know, uh, social distance dancing, uh, with masks and everything. And so she came home from class and she was really, really inspired and, and she just pulled him up off the couch and, and set this whole, um, piece on him, um, with music. And, and it was really, and I think, I really think that's the best way we can support her because she does have all of these ideas and, um, I think she just wants to, you know, succeed and fail on her own. Wow, that's that's is that's so interesting. How like you we have the dance background, your husband doesn't, and then so she's utilizing him for that. Is but I think it's good to get both perspectives. Did you have Did you have a similar experience when you were in that dance company when you were younger? What was that like? It, it was led by a woman named Lee Lund uh, from Lee Lund Dance Academy in Connecticut, and oh, she was just. Oh, See, I get all emotional very easily. Just ignore me. But she was she was an amazing spirit who um who was quite a mentor to all of us. And I really feel like I grew under her tutelage um, as a dancer and also as a human. She was very um tough and you know, we would have to have to rise to the occasion and you know, really bring our best selves to the studio. Um and she worked us hard and um but I got a lot of great dance opportunities out of it and um, and just walked away from that experience feeling amazing. And uh, that was all through uh, high school and then went off to college and kind of when sort of focused more on acting at that point. Why was that? Why did you give up, not necessarily give up, but why did you transition from dance to acting? Well, I never really transitioned from dance to acting, but I sort of just decided to even focus myself more towards the acting. Um, I think if I had been a singer, then I would have continued dancing professionally. But um, because I'm not a singer, (laughs) uh, it it really felt like, you know, dance was going to be something that was going to bring me joy and fulfillment uh, more as a hobby and to infuse whatever 
you know, characters I would be playing on stage or on film. What was your experience like at Tisch School? What was, um, was it a really good experience? Did, um, did you have really, I, I know it's an amazing school, but what, what do you, what did you get out of that, that part of your education that has helped you the most in your career? Uh, oh, that's a good question. I think being at Tisch was a wonderful experience using props to sort of help further the character and deepen the character that really, uh, that I responded to really well. And I use what I learned um, to this day. Um, but it was also living in New York City and navigate, learning how to navigate the city and feeling brave. A friend of mine, he, I actually met him through yoga and turns out he's an actor and I was able to refer him to a friend of mine who um, produced this on, you know, when COVID started, she tr- we all had to transition, as you already know. Sure. And so she did this production. And uh, I referred him when I found out he was an actor and he studied in New York and under, you know, the same kind of environment that you did. And one thing I just, you know, the, and I say that because I love working with actors because I was in a show last year. It was my first time that I was the only dancer and everyone else were, were, were are actors. And I just loved the intention, the focus, the just, there was this energy for me. And I know it's, you know, every production's different, people are different. But for me, it was such a huge, huge blessing being the only dancer in there because I learned just observing and watching the preparation, just it helped me as a, as an artist, like, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I love, I, I would so work with actors again. Cause I love it so much. Cause that experience was so good. Um, what would you say, what you were saying about working with props, is there something that you could give for dancers, like one or two tips that you think would help dancers work with props based on your training? Well, I can tell you how I use props, um, to sort of, you know, you don't want to show your, um, uh, especially with film and television where everything has to be very, very small. You know, if an emotion is uh, called for in any particular moment, sometimes it's very helpful to sort of put it into the prop as opposed to um, sort of deciding what the result of it needs to be. And, you know, it's showing up on your face. If you put it into your body, um, which for dancers, you know, they do all the time, putting in to my body and via props is very helpful in, in continuing to tell the story of that character, the arc of, of that character. Um, I mean, it can be, you know, something as obvious as like, you know, or anger, you, um, uh, throw a glass, but the way you pick up that glass, even, you know, are you picking it up quickly? Are you picking it up gently? Are you, you know, just the way you hold something in your hand or use it can, um, can help to tell the story of a character and, and what's going on, what their point of view is about any particular moment or what's going on inside of them. Um, and then you don't have to broadcast it in some overacty, schmacty kind of a way. Um, <laughs> and when you're on film, especially, it's it can be very helpful because, you know, that captures every, you know, single little tiny movement. Um, and you want it to be subtle. You want it to be human. So we all use props, you know, every day of our lives where, you know, I'm talking to you right now and I'm holding a mug. I find it very comforting. Um, and the way even I'm holding it right now, sort of cupping it with my two hands, uh, is with, and there's warm liquid inside of it. So that's, 
that would be even be telling if you were filming me. Um, you know, that I'm, I'm gathering comfort from this mug. I'm now holding it kind of to my chest. So whereas if I was perhaps a character who was, um, very flippant and, um, cocky, uh, maybe I'd be swinging that mug around, you know, um, not so careful with it, not so caring of it. Uh, so I would, I would just say, I love playing with props. I use them in auditions all the time, you know, but in very small ways. Um, and they should only be used if they're going to further something or help deepen uh, a moment. That was hugely helpful because I think we, as, as dancers, I think we get, and especially with our culture today, you want to see the flashy and the, you know, the, the cool, which I'm about to, I like cool things just for the entertainment value of it. But the way that you were describing that, the intention of, okay, am I going to be, is this a flippant kind of situation or am I using this as a, like you said, comfort and like the way that you were describing that, it, it, it just listening to that helps me so much to be more intentional about what I'm using, what I'm wearing, how I'm showing up. I mean, with everything, I think just with everything, but especially as artists, like that used to not be so important to me. It used to be about, okay, I want to be able to execute this step or get choreography a certain way because I want to look good. And I'm finding, and I think it's just getting older and just really appreciating the art and appreciating art in general that I'm like, Again, I, I don't digress, but just referring back to working with actors, like just the intention for me, it just, it was so fulfilling for me to see the process of all of that. And I thought, gosh, I, I want to be like that. I want to bring that to what I do, no matter how big or small or what it calls for. If I'm in the background, if I'm one, you know, background dancer here, or I'm not like the main character or whatever. What can I do to further my artistic process? And for me, being with actors and watching, watching all that. And then hearing you talk about that, it just, it just solidifies more just how incredible the art is. I, I, you know, before I used to think like, Oh, well, yeah, I can pretend to be a, you know, whatever. It takes a lot of work. <laughs> I, you know, acting is not yeah. like, Oh, I'm just going to act like this. I mean, you, you know, obviously, you know, with your career and what you've done and you've studied, there is a lot more, there is so much more to, per, to, mastering that craft and bringing what you bring, which is very obvious that I've seen in your work. So thank you so much for sharing that. That was hugely, hugely helpful. Thank you. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm just even thinking now, like going back to the cup, um, even in terms of sort of delineating what kind of a character it is, you know, Cecily and the importance of being earnest is going to be holding her teacup, maybe, you know, with her little pinky up or whatever, but very carefully, you know, sipping. But, you know, somebody else who's sort of thinking about something else or, or careless or grazing might swig the tea or, you know, the beer, you know, it's, and if you're open enough, sometimes the props can give you clues into your character mm -hmm. or can give you a, a creative way of approaching a certain moment that you're having, a, you know, a challenge with. Oh, that's another nugget of gold. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, I love it. <laughs> so let's go on to um, what you you did recently, because it is a recent event at the time of this recording, we just got done with yeah. sort of done with the election, which, you know, wow, just uh -huh. amazing oh, yeah. dancing for democracy. Can you please tell me about that? That just sounds so awesome. And I was looking at some of the Instagram stuff. And I thought, she's got some really cool dancers and Broadway stars on this thing. Wow. 
We did. We had so many exciting dancers as a part. The dance community and the Broadway dance community, especially, they're so, well, everybody, the dance community in general, just such a giving group of artists. And um, it was, so Dancing for Democracy was started by a dear friend of mine, Free Schechter. He's known in the Broadway community. Um, uh, another dear friend of ours, Jerome Vavona and Heather Lee and Stephen Nakami. We have a whole bunch of people on the producing team. And um, they all reached out. We all reached out to our contacts, our friends, um, to be a part of this. And we ended up, oh, it was it was just such a wonderful experience. You know what? I have to say, talking about silver linings in the pandemic, uh, this was one of the silver linings. Again, some of these people on the producing team I have never met in person, just like our director for Unraveled, which I know we're going to talk about. Um, it's, it, but yet I feel so connected to them. Um, you know, we would have our Zoom meetings. We would, you know, and it was, um, anyway, we raised a lot of money. We had a ton of amazing people, Charlotte Dembois and Terrence Mann and, um, all sorts of incredible people. Some of the, uh, cast of a chorus line, the revival, which Shecky is also part of. Um, and Laura Benanti. I, I, there's just so many names. I can't even go through them all, but, um, and not all dancers, singers as well, but we, so anyway, his whole idea, I'm, I'm talking in circles here. His whole idea was to sort of uplift everybody and, Shecky and Jaylene Marcos were our hosts. And uh, we basically, through Dancing for Democracy, for, through the event, they taught choreography to uh, Don't Stop Believin'. That was, the original choreography was uh, created by Melissa McCann. But uh, the dance community really, really came out. Uh, we were, so we doubled our goal. Um, it was a really thrilling experience. And I one of the silver linings of this pandemic was that I learned how to be a producer. I had produced one other project, a web series uh, a few years back, but this was another totally different kind of an experience. And it was really invigorating, especially during this time when we were all stuck at home and um, our team was just amazing. And uh, I learned so much about how to communicate and how to make things happen. And this was going to be a live event. So how to work, you know, with that as well. What hurdles did you have to go uh, overcome in producing and being involved in this project that you didn't expect? And how did you work through that? Well, the challenges were about reaching out to the guests, um, to, to people who we wanted to be, to participate. And, you know, we had our long list of our long wish list. We were very fortunate because we got so many on the wish list, but you know, not everybody. So just even trying to, so artists these days are, especially prior to the, the, um, election were really, you know, making, um, themselves available to doing everything they could, uh, to help you know, make changes in Washington. I mean, I can't speak for every artist, of course, because, but you know what I'm talking about. So, um, so sometimes it was just very hard to, uh, to connect, uh, with certain people from our wish list, but we got, we got, so we had such a great team. And, um, I guess challenges would be is that there weren't enough hours in the day. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, oh, 
this was a big one. Um, we were working on two coasts. Uh, there were a handful of us uh, out here in California, and then the rest of the team was in New York City. And so that was that was hard uh, because we had to, in terms of like having meetings, um, you know, the scheduling was a little bit challenging. Um, some people have children. Uh, so, you know, bedtimes and all that, you know, just navigating around this, this life. Uh, and especially because, uh, like, I mean, Shecky's kids, he, they were in, um, virtual school and they're younger. I mean, my daughter's older, so she could kind of do it herself. And a dance studio as well. Uh, so there were a lot of, there were a lot of, um, balls in the air. Yeah. And we had a finite amount of time, of course, you know, because <laughs> the election change. We had a certain amount of time to raise the money and we started a little bit. Yes. It, I saw the video. I'm like, Oh my gosh, they look like they're having so much fun. This is great. And what a great cause. And just so timely, you know, and getting all those people involved, just really good feels like, you know, I, I'm not surprised at the review. Well, on the other side of you be as a performing artist, as an actress and, and all the things you do and all the reviews I've read, I'm like, yeah, they're, they're right. She is infectious and she's lovable and she's her timing and her comedic timing and all this stuff is, is really, I can see why they said that it's all true. <laughs> like, this is really awesome. So it, in wearing, um, you know, now you, you've worn different hats, you know, you've been a dancer, you're an actress, you've done voiceover, film, you know, all this stuff. Do you find that there's a commonality within the process of all these things? Or are you able to segment, okay, I'm wearing my actress hat. This is how it's going to be. I'm wearing my producer hat. This is, or wh- where's the overlap? And what what is, what would you say is like, okay, the, the 50,000 foot view of all that that you do, and then honing in and on, is there a commonality within all these projects? Or do I really have to delineate these different roles? What would you say about that? Well, the commonality is that even with producing, um, you have to be creative. You have to be a creative thinker, um, even just creatively to figure out, you know, get out of problems, uh, problematic situations. Um, So that's great because I love being creative. I like, you know, being given a certain amount of things and then trying to figure out how to make them all work. Um, uh, this makes me think of the the web series that I co-produced with them. Actually, my it's called How to Beat Your Sister-in-Law at Every Yes, day. I saw that. I, <laughs> I co-produced funny. it with my sister-in-law, Michelle Azar, the actress Michelle Azar, and Sydney Susskind and Susan Cohen. And um that was that was all of us producing and then ultimately like talking about wearing different hats and do you have to wear them all at the same time or take one off like once we got onto set uh, Michelle and I had to be the actresses and you know we had to give over the full you know producing to Sydney and Susan who were also the writers and um, the directors on the project so so that was, and at times that was really difficult because as an actor, you know, I was preparing for a scene and yet out of the corner of my eye, I was, you know, noticing three or four things that should have, should be attended to. Um, and only because perhaps that's where I was on the set at the time, not purpose or it was, you know, dropping a ball or something. It's just like, that's what, where I was seeing my perspective. So, um, but I had to kind of, I mean, if there was a moment, I, I think I probably did say something, but really I had to let 
everybody do the jobs that they were there to do and then focus on my core job as an actor in, in the moment. Um, and that, that's hard. <laughs> that's hard because in terms of that 360 view or that, you know, high up view, that's, I tend to be someone who kind of looks at the whole picture. It's, um, doing, I assume we're going to talk about unraveled, but I can tell you that that experience in that experience, we were all, you know, costume designers, um, you know, lighting people, um, production, like everything you needed, you had to kind of, we were all working out of our own separate spaces. So we had to help pay. I mean, we certainly had guidance, of course, from Nikki, our director and, and our production team, but, um, we had to bring ourselves to all of those different roles as well. Yeah. And that's, but I love it. I love it. I think that's really cool. I mean, I was changing light bulbs in my closet because I filmed my stuff out of my closet. You know, I'm showing, you know, all pulling stuff out of the wardrobe and, you know, showing my my choices to our director. You know, just you kind of have to you do it all. And that's cool. Yes, especially during this time. Yeah, yeah. And I think the big thing, too, is that you know, you, you already have that attitude that I'm going to do what it takes to bring this work to life. I'm going to show up as my best self for this piece of work, because that's just what I do. So since we're already talking about this production, can you um, go ahead and tell us about how, you know, how did it all come about? Like, and you're playing a dancer from Ballet Russe. And the funny thing with, um, with Ida Rubinstein, I, I, because I studied dance in college, I remember hearing the name we studied about Ballet Russe and Diaghilev and stuff. But at that time, you know, when you're in your early, at least for me, I was in my early 20s. And I'm like, well, I really don't want to know about dance history. And I know it's important, but I really just want to dance. And I, but now being older, like this stuff really fascinates me. So how did you dive into the character? Like, how did it all begin? Like, how did you end up playing this, this character? And like, what was, what was the process like? And all that stuff? I'm, I'm excited to hear about it. Oh, she's so cool. Well, <clears throat> The process started uh, for me back in the spring when Jake Broder, our amazing writer, um, asked me to do a reading of it so he could hear it out loud. And so um, I participated in that. And then uh, he ended up, um, he and Nikki uh, Dukas, who's our director, they ended up keeping the, the whole cast as is from the reading. And we went into production in the fall. So, uh, it was very, it was very exciting. I, you know, I love this play. I love this play so, so much. And every single time I heard it and because I was off camera for a lot of it so, and just listening, um, I heard something new. I, I mean, it's, I mean, even today, actually, I was looking back through the script and I found a line in there that I had never heard before. So it's just, yeah, Jake is just so smart and so talented. And I felt so fortunate to be a part of this production. Ida, Ida rocks. I mean, if you think about it, she, she was an early female producer, you know, you didn't really see a lot of female producers at that time in the early 1900s. Um, she, I mean, she started, my God, she was a major patron of the arts. You know, she funded and founded ballet companies. Um, she staged free, uh, dance events. 
Uh, so she was giving back to her community. She commissioned um, scores like the one that we talk about, of course, in the play Bolero by Maurice Ravel. But also I think she commissioned Stravinsky to write something. And um, she set up collaborations between various French artists. So she was really a mover and a shaker. And she did it, I think, for the like the passionate love of dance, of the arts. But the interesting thing about her is that she wasn't a great dancer. She was dancing and moving and, you know, performing with all of these amazing talents like Nijinsky and Anna Pavlova and um, Michael Fokin. Do you say, is it Michael or Mikhail Fokin, you know, who, who trained her? I mean, uh, Sarah Bernhardt actually trained her in acting, but she wasn't considered to be, you know, the best of the best. So I thought it was actually interesting that she was a part of this amazing, you know, ballet company. Um, but she was there as much as for her, her dancing as for her, her dramatic flair and her acting. And, um, you know, she was definitely known there's going to be, you know, someone who was very, um, sensual and sometimes scandalous and, um, mysterious and passionate, charismatic, very charismatic on stage. So that really took her very, very far. Plus, plus she was, uh, she inherited a lot of money. So she put a lot of that money into these projects, um, that she did, but like in the midst of, you know, like, Grow, she she was an orphan. I mean, she lost her parents when she was younger, um, and had to live with this uh, these cousins. I think who ended up uh, because she was dancing on the stage. They decided that she that she was unfit to do that, and how scandalous for the family. And they put her in an insane asylum for six months, which we um, refer to in the play as well. So it's not like she had an incredibly easy time. Um. She was also so fabulous. I I just love her. I, I think I connected to her. Uh, I loved her brazenness. Um, she was quite strong and and confident. Um, she was bisexual. She took male men, male and female lovers. She, she kind of went against the grain. I mean, she played, um, St. Sebastian in, uh, uh, production. And I understand I was reading up on her and it said that the, one of the, the Catholic priests or the archbishop told the Catholics not to go and see her because not only was it a female performing as St. Sebastian, but it was a Jew. She was also Jewish. She even fled to England, I think, when uh, Hitler started coming into power. So but I, I love, I mean, we don't go into all of that, certainly in the play, but, um, but I love her strength and I love her love of the arts and her support of all of these incredible artists and specifically in our play, um, Maurice Ravel. I mean, she's where Valero exists. <laughs> I thought I was going to be able to see it, but it's not 
available yet. So I'm signed up for the first, and I think there's a discussion right after, which I'm really excited to hear as well. So I'm really, I thought, oh gosh, I was hoping to see it before I talked to Melissa, but I'm I'm still looking forward to it. So. Yes, I think you're going to really enjoy it. It's a wonderful story. Yeah. When uh, Lucy sent me the information, I thought this is really fascinating. Like just what the take on it. And then, you know, getting memories back of, of, what I, you know, little that I remember about studying Diaghilev and Valley Roos and Ida Rubinstein and, and that whole genre. And I'm like, this is really important. I need to dig back into this because this is a, this is a critical part of history and it's just fascinating. But And there's so much more to this play even than that too. I mean, we have a, a whole other major storyline going on with oh. and her husband and her memory loss and or, or more, uh, it's not really just memory loss. It's, it's, um, frontal, uh, frontal aphasia. I can't remember the exact medical term, but anyway, you will see it. And it's an incredible, incredible piece. Yeah. I cannot wait. I cannot wait for to, to see it. And then hear the, the dialogue afterwards. I'm, I'm always interested on the backstory afterwards. Like when I've gone to pre COVID, when I've gone to different productions and then they would have either choreographers or, um, the writers or anybody that's involved on, on behind the scenes and, and have the dialogue of how things came about. I'm so like, I just eat that stuff up like candy. Cause it's so, it's so just get, I love process. Like I've realized as I've, as I've gotten older, like I really value the process of getting from one point to another. Like, of course the end product is great. And I love that, but the in-betweens of that has, is really fascinating to me how someone gets to either, the development of a character, how they get to this choreography, like with your daughter, like what, what got her to, you know, she went to class that one night and then she came back and she put this whole piece on your husband. Like what mm-hmm. sparked that? Was it the class? Was it the way back? Did what, what was it? The impetus, like that kind of stuff really intrigues me. And I never thought that it would be about that for me. I always thought it would be like, oh, okay, let's get from, especially like want like I'm the type of person, like I like to get things done. So I like, I want to have a, a sense of completion, which I still do, but I've really learned to relish those in-betweens. And I think it's just what's, you know, happened for me in the last couple of years of getting back into dance. And I'm just like, this is really fascinating. Working with actors is so fascinating. Their process is so intriguing to me and it's so like humbling, you know? So as a dancer, what would you say if, if a dancer came up to you and said, you know, I want to get into acting, what would you tell them? Get into an acting class and and be a part of, um, God, there's so many amazing theater companies here in town. Um, go and intern and offer, you know, your free services to run box out. You know, when we get out of this pandemic and we go back into the theaters, um, just help be, be around, um, the community and be around putting together, you know, see how a play, uh, starts and you know ends up on the stage in full production and just put yourself in every single position that you possibly can working backstage the front of the house um listening to directors give notes um if you can go to readings and the talk backs after the readings and hear um feedback uh for the writers like everything it all infuses um, the work and you just sort of soak it all up, but also get into an acting class, an improv class, a place where you can play. Um, I think, 
you need to be able to kind of like play in the sandbox and not approach it as a result oriented craft. Um, I think every performance, you know, it's a little bit different, you know, each night um, or even in front of a camera. It shouldn't be so uh, choreographed that there's no breath in it um, and that you're not bringing yourself to it, you know, each time. So that's what I would say. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So helpful. That's amazing. Oh my gosh. That's great. Excellent. I love it. So these last three questions, I could seriously talk to you for a long time. (laughs) This is just great. I love it. Thank you so much. So these three questions, I'm curious to hear what your answers are going to be. The first one is, what is your favorite dance style and why? What is my favorite dance style and why? Oh my goodness. I have to just pick one? No, you don't. (laughs) Okay. The first one that comes to mind, I have, I have two that come to mind. The first one that comes to mind is um, country Western dancing, (laughs) line dancing, and um, the partnering, the country Western partnering dancing. I, a cherished country Western bar here in Los Angeles, Oil Can Harry's has just closed. And so it's been on my mind a lot. And my friends and I would go there and it's brought so much joy into my life. Um, I just love it. I love being a part of, like, if you think of line dancing, you're on the dance floor with a ton of people in unison with your own little flair, your own little hip movement or swivel or whatever it is or head swing and uh and you're connecting because you know you're turning from the front to the side to the back to the side as you keep turning the choreography and you're you're connecting with all of these different faces as you do it and I find it's like being in a dance class when you're learning you've learned choreography in a class and now it's time to perform it I gather energy and joy from dancing with other people. You're the first person that said country line dancing. And I love the reasoning you gave behind it and, and uh, relating that to being in a dance class and that energy that you get. So thank you for sharing that. So my question number two is who is your favorite dancer or choreographer and why? Oh my goodness. (laughs) Who is my favorite dance? I have to pick one again. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or the first person you I know you have a line and there's just amazing people all over the there place. There are so many amazing people. I mean, in terms of celebrity, Bob Fosse. I love his technique. I love that every wrist, you know, turn or chin, you know, whatever, hips or whatever it is, the knees, the feet. It, he uses every part of the body and the pictures that he paints are painted are just wonderful. I love it. I actually um, recently took when Anne Reinking passed away. Uh, do you? I don't know if you've heard of Broadway Arts Community um, Back BAC. Um, it's Chrissy Whitehead and Alexis Carrera. They have this company, and I, they had interviewed Anne Reinking while she was still alive, of course, and they replayed that interview and and they and she taught a class to their community as well during that interview. And so I took that class and it was Fosse inspired and it was 
just so much fun. Oh my God. I was dancing around my living room. <laughs> um, yeah. So I would, I would say Fosse. The stuff from back, you know, when things started and just when before now, I mean, there's some amazing stuff now, but when you look back at some of these pioneers of different dance styles, it's just incredible. Like what they did with what they had, like it, and, and that's without all the cinematography effects and all kinds of like cuts and edits and all that. It's just them dancing. That's just incredible. But yeah, I love Fosse too. Absolutely love him. Well, he's, he's got the sex and the, you know, that, that sexy athleticism and you see a movement and you know, it's Fosse. Like he has such a signature way of um, putting movement on dancers' bodies. It's, it's, yes, great. it is. Agreed. And I'm really tiny and it still looks good on my body. So that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> Not all dance looks good on this very tiny body. My last question is what is the dance style that is currently describing your day and why? Oh, well, I don't know that I would say it was a dance style, but we have a trampoline outside. And I was out on it earlier, uh, bouncing around. And I would say that's probably good imagery for the way my day has been, you know, up and mm. down. Up mm-hmm. and down. <laughs> um, I was getting the endorphins going and then had a little bit of a crash um, and then back up, you know. So, I, I, yeah, trampoline. Trampoline. <laughs> New dance, new movement style. I mean, it's fun to to be on a trampoline, though. Yeah, I mean, the what people can do these days on trampolines. Oh my gosh, it's just great! I am so happy that we got to have this conversation, and I am so looking forward to watching Unraveled and checking out your work. And I know this is, you know, with the pandemic, we've all had to get creative, but with what you're doing, your career and just, I know this is not like, you know, there's other stuff that you have coming up, I'm sure, in the works. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. Um, if you want to check out Unraveled, it is going to start streaming on February 25th, if, if I'm correct. Is that right? That date? 25th. So I'm going to link it in the show notes. If you want to find out more about Melissa, which I highly encourage you do, and check out her clips of, of the amazing work she's done. It's just Amazing, all the stuff that she's done. Um, go to melissagreenspan.com. I'll link that in the show notes. And um, oh my gosh, I'm so excited to share this. Thank you so much, Melissa, for being on the show and for your time and your wonderful energy. I so appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. This was really, really cool. Thank you so much for joining me on this session. Remember that you are valuable, your dreams are important, and it's never too late to be great.